Gold has reached $2,000 an ounce on the futures market this month and is now very close in spot terms as well. The precious metal has been trading at multi-year highs for over a year now, since breaking $1,400 an ounce over a year ago. This year, the coronavirus job losses and major economic slowdown supercharged an already surging gold price. Unlike other metals and bulks like iron ore, gold's performance is not linked to industrial demand or supply constraints, but its use as a store of value. That's the traditional thinking, at least, for investors looking for a balanced portfolio. Use bonds or gold as a hedge on equities. So, this week we are going to be looking at whether it's still a good time to buy in and how you might do that. Dave Baxter has written the big theme this week on gold funds and we'll get his thoughts on what the options are outside of picking a miner. And Alex Hayne will give us the good word on how the London gold miners are faring whilst they pump out cash. I'm Megan Boxall. And I'm John Human. Welcome to the Investment Hour. So, why are people buying gold? There are loads of reasons why people are buying gold at the moment. I think uh, we, we spoke earlier in the week and you alluded to one of them because um, there's the other thing that people are buying and that's tech stocks. Mm. So, so it's kind of one of the only games in town. Yeah, that's quite a depressing look on the market at the moment that all you can buy is Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft and gold. It sounds like a great portfolio. <laughs> Um, I mean, the interesting thing is that, you know, those big tech companies are seen right now as safe havens uh, as we endure the coronavirus crisis. Um, They have benefited from people working at home. And so um, that's believes will continue as kind of behaviours change permanently. Gold is also a safe haven. And, you know, right now there is a lot of uncertainty about I think this week um, with um, news that there might be a second wave or speculation there might be a second wave and use of you know second lockdowns in in some countries and quarantines being introduced here on certain bits of travel people are starting to worry that that actually safety is the is the way to go so uh, yeah the fact that there is the outlook for the markets for the economy maybe isn't quite as sunny as it has been for uh, i mean the last few weeks because we've had this wonderful oh coronavirus we may be getting towards the end of it but actually it looks like there's going to be some problems especially now we've seen another lockdown in spain we have to quarantine as brits we have to quarantine if we come back from spain it's looking like we're not the end of coronavirus now i get why people want to go back to safe haven equities or assets why is gold a safe haven well, I mean, there's always been, uh, you know, a big disagreement over gold as a safe haven asset. So, you know, lots of people, and I think this goes back to Keynes, described gold as a barbarous relic and said, you know, it has no place in modern economies. And, of course, we came off the gold standard many years ago, and gold is just, it's just kind of, it's just seen as this, this like, uh, acronistic thing. Um, but it hasn't ever really worked like that. You know, no matter how much, you know, that those advocates of fiat money have said gold is, uh, is something that should not be part of the system, people still like it. See, this is the thing for a millennial such as myself. I, I don't get the gold thing. I think it's a... I, I, I get why I, it, the allure of gold, OK, yeah, it's a nice shiny metal, but we can't really use it for anything above from jewellery anymore. But it is money. Gold is money. I mean, you can turn it into money. Yeah. How, how do you turn money? it into money? Well, you take it to a pawnbroker. It's very it expensive money. to... Okay, apart from in a pawnbroker's, but which we will talk about later. But it's quite expensive to turn your gold into cash if you're, if you're trading gold. It's, it's not the easiest thing to invest in. 
Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, there are ways to buy gold without actually buying a, you know, a coin and sticking it in uh, a vault in Hatton Garden. I mean, you can buy, let's say, what it amounts of physical gold through ETF. So, you know, you, you have a, a, a highly liquid way of turning the, the, the rise of gold price into cash. So, so you can hold gold without actually holding bullion. Um, um, but, but, you know, why, why do people like gold? I mean, have you ever held a gold coin? Yeah, it's quite fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I haven't got as far as holding a, a, a brick of gold. No, but, me but, neither. you know, gold, there is something about it. It's just got this, as you say, allure to it. And people like it. And, and it's been around for millennia. And, and no matter how many arguments against it there have been, that it's a barbarous relic that just has never, ever disappeared. Is it a fair time to be hunting for safe havens at the moment? Well, I, I think it is. I think it is. And, you know, Cristillo has talked about, you know, a lot of people talk about gold as an inflation hedge. Uh, and I think Cristillo disputes that. But it's definitely, it's definitely a, an asset that can provide some insurance to your portfolio. And I've, I've written about gold many times in my editorials. Uh, I, think, I think people should own it. I think you should have a proportion of your portfolio in hard assets and gold is obviously one of those hard assets silver being the other one and the silver price is flying at the moment too um but but yeah i mean you know when you think about money um money as we know it fiat money the system that we live in uh when you can just create money out of thin air what have you got and you know we have seen uh, over the last month two months uh throughout the coronavirus crisis that governments uh can print money out of thin air. There seems to be no end to the amount of money that can be printed. People want something with intrinsic value. And gold, for many people, is the answer to that. It hasn't been the answer for the whole of this crisis. I mean, the gold, gold's price hasn't gone upwards the whole time. There have been, been dips. And recently, when equities were looking a little bit stronger... So now the fact that gold, I mean, it's, it's been a big week for gold. Does that, is that a suggestion that the equity markets are maybe heading for rougher times? Well, I mean, you've written in your, your uh, cover feature this week, Megan, that, uh, you know, there, there are signs that the companies that have driven the market recovery and, you know, if you look at the market recovery, and I don't think we've actually really seen that recovery in the UK very much at all. Uh, but if you look at the US, you know, it's been driven by a few companies. Mm. And, you know, we're in the middle of US earnings season and, you know, you can you tell us, you know, what do those earnings look like? Um, what does the outlook look like for these big tech companies? Perhaps they're not the safe havens that we thought they were. Well, this is a thing that I think is very interesting because I actually looked, I looked at AstraZeneca's share price this morning. I haven't, I've, I thought AstraZeneca's share price was doing okay. And I thought it was going to be a double digit share price rise. And I thought it'd be like in the 20s at least. 15% for the biggest company or what is hovering around the biggest company in the UK at I the moment. it's the biggest company. It has been thereabouts. It, it was then, it was not there for the whole time, but it's, that is not very good, really, when actually we're looking at NVIDIA in the US, which is 75% year-to-date. So the companies that are doing extremely well in the year-to-date in the US, it's completely different to the companies that are doing extremely well in the year-to-date in the UK, mm. which is, is really interesting. It's, it's maybe a reason why in the UK we're talking about gold and in the US we're talking about big tech companies. But it's not just the UK driving the gold price, no. obviously. Um, you know, th- this is, this is uh, an asset that the world over is, is seen as a, as a safe haven. I, th- I think in your feature you talk about, you know, the, the kind of the earnings expectations of 
that, that would justify the, the kind of prices we're seeing. Not necessarily amongst the, the big tech companies. They, what do they call them now? Fan mags or something. Fan mags, yeah, fan which mags, I like because it's always been the fangs. And I've always thought, why have you not got Microsoft in there? But there's, but, you know, there, there's a new acronym in town. Indeed, there is. And it, but it looks like there's a lot of earnings disappointment to come. I, I think people have got a bit carried away. Well, yeah, depending on what time you're listening to this, the night might be very, very disappointing for people because we're going to have Amazon and Alphabet, Apple and Facebook. Well, they, they would have probably smashed it this quarter. But they might, the outlook might it's be the tempered. Outlook, which is what people are going to be making their trades on. So. Indeed. And, you know, and, I, and I think what, what the, the, the gold price is telling everybody um, is that you know, the, the nerves are rising. Um, and you know, and, and it, the gold price is... You know, it often rises when the dollar's weakening, which it is right now. You know, lots of concerns about the U.S., which we've written about in the magazine this week, and you know, what we can expect from the U.S. presidential election, um, what that means for the big tech companies, which you've written about as well this week, um, particularly around regulation. Yeah, the regulatory argument is is quite significant, but yeah, in terms of the gold price, it's it is it's something worth talking about right now. I mean, and, the, and the other thing to say about gold right now is, you know, as, as all this money gets printed, which you know, let's call it printing because that's essentially what it is. You know, the, the yields on government bonds just fall and fall and fall and fall. And real yields are in, in negative territory. And the, the, the big argument against owning gold uh, in the past was that, you know, it doesn't pay out anything. There's no coupon, there's no income, there's no dividend. Um, but when, you're, you know, your yields were your coupons uh, on other safe haven assets is, is sub-zero, well, the case for not owning gold is basically gone. Well, yeah, and that's another reflection of the state of the UK market at the moment. You're state not getting very... Market. State of the global market. You're right. The, glo- the global markets, it's, the outlook's not brilliant. So really, what other choice do you have? Which is, yes, relatively depressing as an investor, but also the fact that you have got gold as an option. And there are fabulous companies out there which are also options. Maybe you have to pay a little bit more for them right now, but... For the long term, there are there's still a slightly positive outlook. We're not going to be too negative on this gold podcast. I would and buy gold. <laughs> <laughs> if gold is the best option for investors right now, then that's good news because that's what we're going to be talking about. And Alex Hamer has done a brilliant job putting this podcast together. And he's spoken to James Steele on why coronavirus is supercharging an existing gold bull market. This week, we've seen gold reach... $2,000 on the futures market. Um, the spot market's been a bit bit below there. But to look a bit more broadly, um, how do you compare this this price run to 2011 when, you know, the, where the previous record was set? Well, there are some similarities. Um, both markets have been investor-driven. That is to say that we haven't had an increase because of the, uh, any sharp decline in supply or because jewellery demand is up uh, sharply. It's been because of some economic and financial dislocation that has triggered safe haven buying. And this is a, a traditional uh, gold bull market. So it fits in with that, with that pattern. This one, of course, being COVID-19 related. Um, and I think in the, in the note that you released this week, um, you said there, there might be a correlation between gold dropping slightly and the COVID-19 case counts in the U.S., um, how, how do you think those two numbers are linked? Well, I think in, in, in broad terms, you know, gold is a reflection, the demand for gold is a reflection of uncertainty and to some degree um, the disharmony. And if the COVID-19 case count can come down, not just in the US, I should have 
said globally, then um, then that I think would take some stress um, psychologically out of out of the market and maybe uh, allow gold to consolidate. Um, and on on that same note, we've seen the gold price continue to increase, even as um, not everywhere, but in some places that the COVID cases have come down, and you know some say that we're we're in a second wave at the moment. Maybe in the US more so than than Europe, cases are ticking up in Europe as well, obviously. But um, you know the the point I'm getting at here is that gold continued to increase, um, even as it seemed like the the, the pandemic was was improving. Um, do you, do you think there was a split there between you know it became more driven by by investor sentiment and kind of people rushing towards gold, even though the one of the drivers had had tailed off a bit? That's a very good question, and I'm glad you've made that that delineation because it's it's key to understanding gold. Gold had already rallied 14% last year, from the second half, uh, uh, mostly through the second half, well before COVID-19 um, had uh, had had appeared. So the gold market was already in a bull market, and and I think it's a mistake to relate too much of this year's gold move um, to COVID-19 alone. It's really been the economic uh, and financial response to COVID-19 in the sense that we've had greater fiscal spending um, and we've had uh, uh, continued monetary easing. And that's been behind uh, uh, the rally. But the genesis of that was well before COVID-19. So that's a good point, Alex. And and you mentioned um, monetary policy there. And I think um, an interesting part of this is, you know, gold's often seen as a hedge against um, equity performance. So a balanced portfolio might have you know, gold, bonds, equities, um, maybe a bit of cash. Um, but equities are performing really well at the moment. I mean, do you do you have any thoughts on um, whether there's a there's a mismatch there, or or perhaps why gold isn't? You know, this is the equities box is not one it's ticking for a, for a normal bull market. That's another great question um, because um, we've uh, studied this, and you're right. There is a natural inverse correlation between paper markets. Uh, and, and the demand, investor demand for gold. And recently, um, the equity markets have been strong and the gold market has also rallied. And I think this reflects an increased safe haven demand for gold. A lot of investors, in addition to uh, participating in the equity rally, may be suspect of it, may be uncertain of it, um, um, or for any other, for various other reasons, may also take out some gold uh, effectively as an insurance policy um, against an equity market correction, because these are uncertain times. And that, I think, explains why gold has been able to perform well in league with um, uh, an equity rally. Sure. Um, and, and I think another thing you said um, in the note was that silver as, a, as an alternative um, precious metals investment is is fairly volatile and also follows gold, um, or at least has in the, in the past few weeks, um, and that platinum might be a better bet. Um, what, why is that? Well, the, both those markets are also safe havens. They're also precious metals, but they're far, far smaller. And in the case of silver, the gold-silver ratio, that is to say the number of ounces of silver uh, required to buy one ounce of gold, went to an all-time high just recently, at around 126, that's to say you needed 126 ounces of, of silver to buy one ounce of gold. Well, investors, I think, recognized that that line was out of whack. It's usually between 70 and 80. Um, and so we got a lot of buying coming into the silver, uh, spillover almost from the 
from the gold market because the silver market was recognized as being undervalued. Well, the silver has already risen now, um, but I think to some degree, the same will apply to the platinum. Platinum is a, a trading at a very steep discount to gold and may offer some value. Because I, I think, you know, I've, I've been covering um, palladium and platinum um, exposed companies um, in London with, with a lot of interest in, in, recent, in recent years. Do you think that industrial element for, for platinum and the, the fact it's been largely replaced in catalytic converters in, in cars means that a run-up would be, would be more difficult? Or is it just a, you know, um, you know if, if the herd's attention turns to platinum, it will run up anyway? I think it would have to be dependent upon the uh, strength in the gold market. The underlying fundamentals for platinum are not especially compelling, as you point out. Uh, the jewellery is also down, um, uh, uh, rather weakish, but I think um, the market did get to unrealistically depressed levels. Now, I know you're, you're in the midst of um, working on, on price forecasts for the, you know, for the next little while, um, but are there any, you know, you know, whatever you're happy saying about the the gold price um, over the over the next few months or years, I will I will happily take. I think what has been missed in the gold market is the a severe erosion in physical demand, um, in uh, principally but not exclusively in Asia. Uh, jewelry demand is down double digits. Uh, imports into China and India, the two biggest importing and consuming countries in the world, have fallen off severely in the last few months to virtually. Uh, nothing. And this is simply because gold is very expensive in local currency terms for an average Indian or Chinese buyer. And uh, and the uh, lockdown has also impacted um, jewelry demand globally. At the same time, recycled supply is increasing swiftly because of the high prices. It's encouraging more and more gold, uh, and for that matter, a bit of silver onto the market. And, and this is supplying the investor market. So investment demand has to remain very strong uh, in order to absorb this excess uh, gold that's coming in from the physical markets. And I would just remind everybody that um, it was just this dynamic that helped to uh, uh, weaken the gold rally back in uh, 2011, 2012. So I think that um, near term, the gold may have to consolidate. Um, as it continues to absorb this uh, uh, excess supply from the physical markets. And I was just wanting to get uh, uh, some context into the, the, the size of the, the physical market um, or the jewellery market compared to the, I don't know, the, the, the paper market for gold, um, if you had any, any kind of proportions uh, kind of front of mind. Well, the, the paper market, actually, it's very hard to get uh, data on it. Um, gold... Uh, as far as the overall supply-demand balances go, uh, jewelry used to occupy 50% of the market. That down, it down no more to like 40, 41%. Now, with um, exchange-traded fund demand having taken the, uh, the, uh, the balance, but it's important to remember in the paper market, um, it's more about flows, trading going on. It's not really uh, about stocks. So it's almost like comparing apples to oranges. Sure, sure. Um, is there anything else you wanted to you wanted to add that um, you know that interested you about the current bull market? I, I would say that what gold is getting now are the two prime elements that um, that it requires for an investment led rally. That is debt and liquidity, and uh, with um, debt to GDP ratios rising around the world, and with um, and with uh, 
uh, extensive monetary easing, it's certainly going to uh, cushion any decline that gold is likely to uh, to experience. And and also, it's important to remember that um, gold is inversely related to trade, and trade flows have been contracting. Um, gold traditionally rallies in a period when trade declines and tends to decline when trade, when global trade is moving um, uh, quickly higher. And similarly, um, geopolitical tensions appear to be quite high uh, globally, and that also is supporting the market. Fantastic. Um, all right, thank, thank you very much for, for doing that um, and on short notice as well. So now we've heard there from uh, Alex and James about the reasons for owning gold. We're going to hear from Dave uh, and Alex again about how you own it. Dave's just written a big piece on how to buy gold, looking at various fund options. So here to hear from him on how it all works and, and where you could put your money if you're so inclined. Hi, Dave. Hi, Alex. Great piece you've written here. Really thorough rundown on the ETF side of things for gold. Could you give us a quick set of highlights? You know, what, what, what stuck out to you when you when you launched into this this massive topic? Yeah, I mean, it, it is massive and it's really interesting given what's going on with gold. We've looked at some of the general arguments for and against gold continuing to perform really strongly. But um, I suppose what really stood out is just, it's not just about whether you think gold will do well. You also need to think quite carefully about how you get exposure to it. So in terms of kind of using funds, there's probably, I'd probably split it into two camps. So one is you would get kind of almost direct gold exposure. So you'd buy a uh, an ETF that gives you access to the um, the gold price. Uh, physically backed ETF is best um, because there's less risk. Uh, so that's one option. And then the other option is to use either active funds, which tend to focus on gold miners, or equally, there's a, a couple of ETFs that kind of track indices of gold miners. What's really interesting about those those two routes to gold is they're just so different so the physical gold etfs they in in the sell-off in february and march um they tended to perform really well um so they made a decent gain during that time when everything else pretty much was falling so that will have offset your losses so that is um a really generally a really solid kind of safe haven defensive asset for when investors are panicking and equities are falling the difference with any kind of gold miner exposure whether via active funds or via an ETF is they've had such fantastic performance this year in general but that wasn't the case in the sell-off they had a really rough sell-off because they are still equities they get caught out in the you know general movement of equities and what you will see is if the gold price rises generally as a broad group those kind of gold miners will tend to benefit and they they will give you greater gains than the actual gold price does so it's just much more volatile much bigger gains but also potentially bigger losses and is there a mix of the two that you could go for i know know you've highlighted some some broader funds that include little bits of gold but what about something that has has both in them yeah there are um, i don't think it's that common but there are some so some of the dedicated gold funds do that i think merion fund does that but also um you can look at um kind of funds with a broader remit so there are some multi-asset funds um that have generally taken a really defensive approach and have done really well um this year so some funds run by rougher for example um rougher absolute return rougher total return 
um, Reform Investment Trust, and also some funds run by an asset manager called Troy, so Troy Trojan. Uh, they've had quite similar approaches. They've had um, a bit of money in equities, but um, going into the, the sell-off, they had um, gold and government bonds, that kind of thing. But funds like those can um, basically take the different forms of gold exposure. So I think it's the rougher fund had both physical gold and some gold miners. So they're they're kind of getting a mix. So February, March, they will have seen a bit of offset from the physical gold, um, but more of a struggle with the the actual stocks. But then they should have benefited from this sort of like this massive rally we've seen since in the actual gold equities. It's really interesting to look at. I think the biggest one of all is, is Vanek Vector's gold miners ETF, mm. the famous GDX. And what I've seen as, as a fairly strong criticism of, of the gold mining industry over the past few years is that it's, it's been quite value destructive. So so if you look at GDX over the past 10 years, it peaked in 2011, you know, as you'd expect when the gold price was at, you know, same levels as, as it is now. And it peaked at $64. It's now trading at $43. So we're, we're in a period where gold is, has broken that that record. But even if you invested at the peak and now we're at another peak, you still would have lost, you know, 20% or more of your holding in, wow. in GDX. And I think that's more a comment on on the performance of the gold miners. Um, but it it does show that even if you're you're spreading that risk across multiple companies, there is still a risk if you buy at the wrong time. Something that's that looks quite hot, but you know, you look long term and it's still not that that positive. Obviously, if you bought GDX in you know, 2016 or 2015, when the gold price was extremely weak, so we're talking $1,200, then you would have quadrupled your money. But I think that longer term view is really interesting. I mean, did you, did you when you when you were looking at, at this, did you take any viewers to what might be a long term investment? If you you know, gold's super high now, what if you wanted to hold something for the next 10, 20 years? Did you did you take a view on that? In terms of non gold investments or. Um, no, I mean, in, still in the gold sphere. Long- um, I've kind of put you on the spot here, but um, <laughs> you know, what stuck out to you as something that might might you know last beyond the, the current highs within the, within the fund ETF space? Obviously, keeping to your your purview. It's interesting. I guess, I guess it's different. It would depend on different scenarios. So we've looked perhaps more at the kind of medium term. We've looked at some of the potential drivers. Um, of the gold price so there there are interesting technical arguments kind of for and against it um, doing well which perhaps you've uh, discussed elsewhere on the podcast but the ideas of things like um, inflation returning which in many cases has tended to benefit gold I I think if you're in a kind of scenario like that then you should again see kind of physical gold ETFs that kind of thing tend to do relatively well but you'll basically see uh, things like the Vanag ETF continue to soar ahead. But I, I guess it's then interesting if you do see more um, volatility. So if you did see actually a pickup in inflation and that then really unsettled the market because lots of um, parts of the market have not priced in inflation. For example, government bonds really struggle when inflation comes in and government bonds are still on really high prices. You, you could see a lot of volatility, which would potentially come into the equity market so again you're kind of it's that very confusing thing where gold miners could sell off but then after a period of time they actually may 
provided they kind of survive through that difficult periods, they may give you some really strong returns. And there's the yield factor as well there. Yeah. To consider. Yeah, I mean um, that's that's an interesting one, isn't it? The fact that gold itself yields nothing, which is why that's a big in times when yield is available elsewhere, that's that big opportunity cost. But um suppose that makes the equities a bit more attractive. Yeah, that's kind of my area obviously is to look at look at these companies. Um and in London we've got fairly limited compared to, to Canada and Australia, a fairly limited range of gold companies. I mean at the top you've got the the Russians, you've got the mid cap ones like I mean there's also more Russians in there like Petropavlos, Sentimen, Resolutes coming up there as well. And some of these some of these are yielding, you know, Sentiment's mm. a really good dividend payer. Petropavlovsk, which is currently having its own major issues, isn't too bad. And then at the top, as I mentioned, the, the Russians who have to pay dividends to their their major shareholders, who are often quite well known, um, you know, in not the best way. But I think I think that that yield conversation is is interesting because often gold companies, uh, gold miners specifically, will aim to aim just for growth. Mm. If you look at someone like Resolute. They haven't been paying a dividend because they've been through a growth period. And as an investor, you're getting quite good growth in the past six months. But if you look at if you take it out to a year, then you've actually lost a bit. Um, you know, I, I can't speak to exactly why their share price isn't isn't at the heights it was a year ago. Um, possibly there was, you know, people were just trying to pick out the the winners of the of the gold price run when it started to go from thirteen hundred. But um, mm. you know, those. I guess the point I'm making is it's pretty hard to pick individual miners um, as much as we, you know, do a great job of it here at the IC. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, going back to going back to your piece, I thought an interesting um, quote you included was from Andrew Cole, mm. who said, the benefit tends to be amplified from gold price rises. This is talking about gold mining shares. Unless you have a stock market crash, we feel sell stocks, including gold miners. When when we go back to the the, the fund or ETF side, we we looked at March at the at the sell off. Was that cushioned at all because these companies were gold, or did they say did they see the same the same sell off as we saw across you know, the whole market? Yeah, looking purely at the funds returns, if you look at that um, kind of late February to late March period, yeah, they they got hit really hard. So they they registered some really big sort of um, paper losses. I suppose so. Um, yeah, there's, there doesn't really appear to be um, that kind of buffer. Although, um, I guess what might be interesting is you may just see uh, different funds kind of take more or less of the brunt, depending on what part of the um, the market they invest in. So, if you look at um, how those funds performed from twenty uh, first of February to twenty third of March, which captures kind of most of the, the worst parts of um, the sell-off. The fund that got hit the hardest um, from a selection I've looked at was um, MFM Junior Gold. And then the one that took the smallest loss um, was Rougher Gold. So perhaps there is an element there of, you know, kind of focusing on different regions or focusing on different styles of miner, different maturity of miner that will have kind of um, meant that they got punished slightly less but yeah, really, it's very difficult um, with a sell-off of the magnitude of the one earlier this year. It's just very difficult to to escape. Um, I, th- I think that's probably 
something to acknowledge with most asset classes. So most many sort of bonds, like corporate bonds, um, at first were kind of resilient-ish, and then they they fell as well. And it was only really the very classic safe havens, so your gold and your government bonds that um, got positive returns in that period. So you're saying there's no perfect investment in the gold world, which is sad to hear. <laughs> yeah, you must be very upset. Um, yeah, it's, I, I think what's really important, and this is really important with all investments, is you need to try and define why you're holding it. And then it it should hopefully, I mean, this doesn't always happen, but it should hopefully act within your expectations. So as I said before, the, the physical gold exposure, that will, for many years, it may not do much. It may not be very exciting. Um, and it will lag behind when you've uh, got kind of better, when you've got interest rates available and yields available and good returns from risk assets. But in times of market stress, that should offset your losses, which is, is quite important actually to your longer term returns. Whereas those miners are more kind of a way to capture those strong returns that will follow gains in the uh, the gold price. I mean, maybe it's an interesting strategy to say you do see this big sell-off ideally maybe you would be holding some physical gold and then when if you're brave enough to try and sort of buy those dips which obviously is very difficult the whole catching a falling knife thing you could perhaps try and buy into some of those things like gold miners if you think that gold this is going to be a protracted period of uncertainty and gold is going to continue to stay really strong if you look on a on a company by company basis basis the the price to equity ratio that or multiple that that I look at um, it the range is huge. I mean, mm. I go from you know the, the big the big North American so Barrick, Newmont, they're twenty times, twenty five times, even thirty, and then here there's there's a real discount for for the Russians. They're about uh, twenty or below price to price to earnings, and then you go even smaller. So you've got um, something like Shanta Gold, um, which is a about an eighty thousand ounce year producer. Um, so, for comparison's sake, um, the bigger companies or the biggest are, are producing a million ounces. So, eighty thousand is quite quite small. But um, obviously, their you know their costs are lower, and they don't have um, all that kind of corporate machinery. Um, and then you've got someone like Hummingbird, which is also smaller. So that's they're about a hundred thousand, I think, um, ounces a year. And they're priced at 5.5 um, times forward earnings, which is not much at all. When mm-hmm. gold's at you know 1,900 plus, they've established themselves as a as a producer. So I don't know. I think I think what I, what I'm trying to get at here is um, there is a massive range. So so even in a sell off, you've got people who are fairly cheap at the moment, even with gold super high. So potentially in a sell off, they would be more resilient. You know, I mean, this is just a massive punt, kind of a crapshoot. But you know, they might be more resilient because they're not priced that heavily. I mean, if you look at if you look at Barrick, they've been they, they're trading at double what they were, um, and this is already a hugely you know highly valued company. They they were trading at um, I think you know twenty to thirty billion Canadian market cap, and now they're above sixty. You know, they used to be the same size as, as Freeport, the the copper major, and they're now they're considering taking them over. And they both poo pooed that idea. But it's just it's just I'm giving an idea of the scale at which these companies have grown over the past year or two years, um, mm. just because of the gold price run and 
and also consolidation in the sector, which, which is a factor as well. But, you know, potentially those those cheaper companies that are smaller might actually be a way to get through that sell-off. But who knows? Uh, you know, yeah. we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, anything else you want to pick out from your, your story, Dave? It's fairly comprehensive. Yeah. Um, oh, just, I guess one of the interesting things was, um, I don't know, uh, within your... Um, your remit whether you've been very particularly excited about what's going on with silver i mean it's not it's not something i've looked into much but i'm just going to say it's worth noting with some of the gold funds that they can some of them do have a bit of flexibility to invest beyond gold so some of them will have a bit of silver if you look at that vanek etf for example that index can include companies that also will mine silver so if you're looking at these funds it's worth kind of you know if you think silver has a lot of catching up to do which is what it seems some people believe then maybe it's worth kind of looking for those who have a mix yeah i think silver's really interesting because it's it's kind of the, the cranks gold you know it's often held <laughs> as a as a the doomsday preppers um <laughs> will hold silver because it has an industrial use it's easier to buy because for a long time it was trading between 12 18 an ounce now it's over 20 um after sitting behind gold for for over a year um, you know the 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 ratio that that we talk about is the gold silver ratio. So how many ounces of silver it takes to buy one of gold, and that that went from you know eighty to ninety um, probably a year ago, and that was seen as quite high. Before silver was run up over twenty, it got to I think one hundred twenty, one hundred thirty times. And there are companies out there, um, as you say. So there's a there's the silver companies. And then there's the silver gold companies that actually make most of their money out of out of gold. So so Fresneo, famously silver heavy, they make 55% of their revenue off gold. So it, it's an interesting mix with these companies because even if they're known as a silver company, they're probably making a lot of money off gold at the moment anyway. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, talking to so James Steele from HSBC, who, who I'm sure um, listeners will have heard from already in this podcast. He was saying that that silver's kind of it's a bit it's a lot more volatile than gold because it is a following metal and it has you know fundamentals that are that are quite different. So it does have the industrial side. It behaves usually in lockstep with gold. So people try and if it's lagging behind, people have tried to to buy it and and kind of look for that gap and and that has come good in the in recent weeks. Um, after a year of kind of lagging behind, but I don't. I'm not. I'm not a huge believer in silver, just because that that, that volatility is there. Um, whereas gold has had a fairly steady run up until you know recent months, where it's it's jumped from seventeen to nineteen hundred. But silver is definitely more volatile, and you know it could it could fall back down again. I don't know. It'd be interesting. I think I think in London, the the one for people to look at is um, obviously Fresno, which has done really well um, against my sell tip awkwardly um but uh Hochschild as well um produces a lot of silver um and they've had a much better handle on the on their operational performance as well um but yeah i mean there's also platinum as well and and palladium but i think if we dig into those we might you know take another take another four hours <laughs> it's a whole other conversation isn't it yeah all right we'll, we'll leave it there dave thanks very much for for running us through that you know i'm sure we could do a whole pod series on on gold that would run for years and years, but I'm glad that we had someone to run through the funds, which is almost a, a more important part of part of the investment discussion. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Dave.
So, hi, Alex. How are you doing? Hi, John. All right. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good, thank you. So, I mean, this year has been, you know, or this week in particular, but this year generally, it's been an extraordinary uh, year for the gold price. I've been looking at the FTSE 250 today, and, I mean, the three of the four biggest risers in the year today have been gold miners. What's going on? I, th- I think everyone's just excited, really. With You know, they, these miners have been doing really well for, for over a year now. Um, obviously, gold price came up about a year ago. Um, but I think there was that there was that rush kind of the start of this year. The COVID started hitting. Miners were already doing well. The cash flow had started from the, you know, 1500 gold price. Um, and then once that that pandemic started, people thought, okay, this is a good way. Obviously, they, they dropped during the March sell-off, but since then, it's been spectacular. I think if you even change those, those metrics from, you know, mid-March to now, those rises would be much, much bigger. Yeah, I've got a hundred. I've got a thirteen-week uh, number there. So actually, uh, Hogshaw's bigger. We tipped that one, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a bit. Well, it's a bit funny at first, if I remember rightly. Yeah, I think so. They've had a few production issues, um, but they they have a silver gold, you know, split production. Um, but yeah, they're, they're they're doing well now. They're you know really established company. They their operations are in Chile, which is a little bit different. Most of the gold miners are kind of Africa, Russia uh, that we've got here in London. So, so they they stand out that way. But um, yeah, I mean, good company, doing well. Is, is there something we should look for though in in a gold miner? I mean, you know, obviously the rise in gold price is helping them a great deal, but not all gold gold miners are created equal. What what should we be looking for as investors? I think a really good example that we should look at right now is Petro Pavlovsk. Um, so they they almost went bust when the gold price fell in 2014 um, because of some debt they took on to build this um, this special processing plant that um, can can process refractory ore, which is really difficult to to get at. And they have very successfully built that plant, and now they're kind of the envy of Russia or the Russian gold mining space because they can make money off that refractory ore. That has led them to the current situation where their 22% shareholder, UGC, is trying to take them over very sneakily. Um, at the AGM uh, in June, they voted out the board. Um, UGC joined up with two other shareholders who were behind the previous board coup, um, which was a retaliation for the one before that. So we're on our third board coup in, in four years at Petro Pavlovsk. Um, and... The next meeting uh, is in August, and, and they're going to try and return. Um, you know, mainly the CEO is probably the key person here, Pavel Maslovsky. Um, but I guess my my point is that governance sucks at Petro Pavlovsk. They are struggling uh, on that front, even though their share price has gone up exponentially this year. Um, so I think it's a good example of, of where a company might fall down. I mean, isn't, isn't this a problem that's kind of endemic across the whole, sort of not, I mean, gold mining in particular, mining generally, but, you know, um, governance, jurisdiction, it's always a massive risk with these companies. I remember Sentiment, well, it used to be called Sentiment Egypt, and uh, Egypt was horrible for this company. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, looking at Sentiment now, they're, they're doing really well. They, they, they pay a, you know, reasonably high royalty to the Egyptian state. Um, but apart from that, they, they haven't had any of the jurisdictional issues that we've seen from, oh, I mean, especially their neighbours, like Acacia, Acacia Mining, which got spun back into Barrick, which basically got, I would call it blackmail, maybe 
you know, bullied by the Tanzanian government into handing over more cash. Um, and, and I mean, they shut production there for a while. Um, so I think, yeah, jurisdiction issues are massive. And that's why, so if you look across the pond in, in, in Canada, for example, um, Barrett Gold has traditionally had all its operations in the Americas where they, they feel a lot more comfortable. Um, things are more expensive, but say if, you're, if your biggest mine is in the US, your problems are going to be very different from whether you, if your mine's in, in West Africa, you know, East Africa, or even, you know, Russia, it's more a shareholder issue. But um, I mean, that's kind of why Barrick, and now it has African African um, assets because of its merger with Rangold, but, you know, they've traded it at a higher price than than most of the miners in London because of that jurisdictional safety. You, you say that it's higher cost. I mean, how, how much should we be looking at, you know, production cost when we are looking at... Uh, uh, buying mining shares individually. I mean, you know, it, right now it probably seems fine. You don't really need to think about it too much. But I remember when the gold price dipped, you know, sort of you know, below 1400 you know, suddenly that cost became the factor to what to, to think about. Is it something we should still think about? Yeah, definitely. So the, the key metric here is the all-in sustaining cost, which is, so there's the, the cash cost, which is something you more look at with copper. But with gold miners, it's the AISC because they have to do enough exploration, um, enough maintenance and, you know, making sure their process, processing is working right um, to keep production running, that AISC is, is key. And, you know, you're right to mention in the when the gold price was down between, you know, 14 to, to 16, the companies with, with AISCs of, you know, $1,000 plus really struggled. Um, and so what you're looking for as a company, some of them are, some of them are as low as 600, I think, you know, sentiment previously has been down, you know, $700 an ounce. Um, but anything below a thousand is really good. Um, once again, it depends on the jurisdiction. So it's easier to get that, that cheaper, um, you know, per ounce cost, um, often in, in Africa, but you know, that that's the trade-off. Um, isn't it it also, isn't it also dependent on the nature of the mine? I mean, there's different ways of getting to gold, you know, there's sort of deep mining, surface mining. I mean, what should we be looking for here? Uh, it's, it's a tricky one. I think, you know, underground mining is, is, is probably what people often think of where you've got people down these twisty underground, um, you know, assets where you've got people chipping away at rock and you can see the gold on the wall and they're just getting bits off the wall. And that, that still happens, you know, in, in Northern Ireland, there, there are operations where people are basically following the vein, um, but the majority of gold mines that, that you'd be investing in, so sentiment again, for an example, um, their Sakari mine is a giant open pit where the gold grade is low enough that you're not, you're not going to see any visible gold. So you're, you're, you're blowing out bits of it. You're running that through processing. And it's only after running through a few things that that microscopic gold is, is, is be able to be pulled out. But underground and open pit are, are quite different. I think a good thing to bring out right now is um, AEX gold. So, they are more the follow the vein model of, of minor. Um, they're a Canadian company that is listing in London on, on Friday. Um, and they have a, a brownfield. So it's an old gold mine that's already been in operation in Greenland. And they basically just want to follow a tunnel in a mountain, um, chasing that a single vein, um, which has traditionally worked well. But it's, it's a quite different operation to someone just blowing chunks out of a, out of a pit. Is there a is there a right way? Obviously, there's not a right way. Is there a better way of doing it? So, so often investors will want to be able to just open a open a um, 
you know, a, a study of these mining operations and it will have the reserves as, you know, the reserve might be 500,000 ounces um, and then it's okay. You can, you can see that number basically and think, okay, over the next few years, they're going to mine this. Um, this company is going to, if they don't stuff it up, they're going to be making this much money over the next few years. Um, and they usually price the, they usually use a gold price of about $1,300 an ounce. So anything above that, they're, they're doing okay. Um, the problem with, mines like AEXs is that you can't do enough exploration to get a really strong reserve number. Um, so they might only know a year or two in advance um, how much gold is in there. And, you know, it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's worked really well in the past. Um, but what it means is that it's harder for someone to look at their, um, you know, their feasibility study, basically their plan for the mine and say, okay, this is an investment for the next five, 10 years because they have to keep doing that work and proving that there's gold there. So I think, you know, I, I wrote up AEX's um, intention to list in London at, at the start of July as it's a bit cheeky, you know. They're a Canadian company. They're, they're, they've raised, they've basically doubled their their share issue on, on their float here um, because they saw a good opportunity to to you know, pitch London investors a gold company. Um, but they don't have any revenue yet. They're, they're still working out this this project. It's gone bust before. Greenland, it's given them a license, but it's it's just a bit uncertain for me uh, to invest in right now. I mean, is this the danger now that because, you know, we have the soaring gold price that we, we, we essentially get, you know, a gold rush of gold IPOs, Companies that perhaps aren't as you know high quality as some of the two fifty ones we're talking about, you know, basically just looking to, to to get something out there and tap investors' money, and there's not really much substance to it. I think. I mean, I think that's always the thing with with, with gold. I mean, you look at the cycle of the junior miners, and this is both on AIM and the TSX Venture Exchange. They went from gold probably five six years ago. There's a lot of gold companies that then moved to lithium, um, cobalt, that kind of thing. And then they've moved back to gold now. So they might just have a project in their back pocket. They don't think it's going to be developed. But, you know, if you stick gold on something at the moment and you say, We're, we want to raise this much money, our assays, which are the, the test results for the, for the exploration, look really good. Um, this, is a, this is a district that's had a lot of gold mining in the past. You're probably going to do okay. Um, I think for investors looking for something to hang their hat on for the next few years, those companies aren't the aren't the way to go but if you you know it's basically betting if you put your money on a couple of them one of them ends up being a 10 bagger then you're doing okay i mean an example that of one that's done really well recently is greatland gold um but they have a they have an australian project they um have an agreement with newcrest um which is a big australian gold miner and they've done really well over the past year or so i mean that that ship has sailed now but that's an example of it of it actually working so, so you know, that's the speculative end of the market. But you, you would imagine with the gold price where it is, with the cost of production, you know, reasonably low, uh, some of the more established miners, you know, they must be chucking out cash, these companies. And, you know, we've, we've seen Megan did a, a big load of work on, you know, FTSE dividend cuts recently. This must be a potential dividend gold mine for, for lots of investors who, who are perhaps, you know, have, have, have really seen their income suffer because of the cuts we've seen elsewhere. Yeah, yes. But I think, I mean, specifically the Russians are a good place to look here. They... You know, you look at someone like Polyus, Polymetal, they have very strong dividend policies that are set, um, you know, fairly high proportion of cash flow um, because of their, uh, I guess I would say, strong shareholders. Uh, so they, they want paying, basically. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they're, I mean, they're always going to pay good dividends. They're, I think they're about 4 or 5% at the moment, even after massive share price rises. Um, so for, you know, to compare that with Barrick and, and Newmont, um, their dividends are about 1% right now. Um, even, you know, that their, their share prices have kind of doubled, but the London big miners are, are still handing you a lot more cash. Um, I mean, I mean, sentiment's been a really reliable dividend payer, even over the last few years when they've struggled operationally, um, you know, they're handing out money. Um, you know, I think Hochschild's good there as well. I think one of the things that's very interesting, I mean, people people think about gold, but the way people think about gold maybe isn't necessarily the way that we've been talking about gold with the, with the miners, but as a consumer, a lot of the way that people think about gold is is consumer products. And has there been any read across into the, into the jewellery market, into the pawnbrokers market as well, that there are other ways of looking at gold? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, you, you hit, hit the nail on the head there. If someone's buying gold, it's really, really expensive. Um, we're coming up to Diwali in India in, I think it's in November, around then, um, where gold's given as a, as a gift. Um, and there's no way people are going to be buying the same amounts that they, they would have in the past. Um, it's it's priced per gram there to give an indication of how people, um, you know, spend money on there, but on it. Um, but, you know, the, the data from the World Gold Council um, that's come out this week is saying that jewellery sales uh, have plunged. And, and of course they have, because if gold's gone up 30%, then the cost of that ring, necklace, whatever, is also up 30%. And in a time when a lot of people have lost their jobs, you know, it's just... Um, there's there's no way that jewelry can recover unless gold drops. Does that consumer angle have any implication to the gold price, or is it more the other way around that the gold price pushes the jewelry market or pulls the jewelry market rather than rather than the jewelry market pulling? The- my my understanding was that Indian buying was was a fundamental driver of the gold price, but that that sounds like it switched around. Yeah, I think I think in in. I, I hesitate to say regular times, but um, with gold between twelve and thirteen hundred dollars, you see you see an uptick um, every year during Diwali, um, and you know it's it's a similar thing in in China. It's not like a you know an annual lift as you see in India, but there's strong demand throughout the year from there, and that's that's dropped off as well. Um, whether it's it's stopped being a driver, um, I'm not sure. I mean, what what James Steele told me was that. Um, there's just so much money floating around in gold right now that that's the principal driver. So there, there's that much, um, you know, ETF inflows. There's there's that much money coming in, um, you know, the the funds, but also the, the 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 actual supply generators as well. That it's probably not going to have a massive impact. But he did say that this was a factor in 2011 when people stopped buying gold for jewelry. That was one demand driver or one price driver that, that fell away and I guess one less strut to support that high price. And the other the other read across there is is to the pawnbrokers, which a lot of people do use. And again in twenty eleven that was a massive driver of what was what was pushing the pawnbrokers into often doing extremely well. People were pawning their gold and they were sitting on these assets which were extremely valuable all of a sudden and then the pawnbrokers got a little bit overexcited maybe. And is that potentially something that could happen again this hugely valuable gold being <laughs> being something that is is too exciting for for people who hold it i think um 
that's another another interesting question. I, I'm I'm actually not sure. I think I kind of sit in the clouds and just just point towards companies. But um, you know, I have been getting questions from from friends and family saying, "Should I sell my gold?" And it's it's really hard to answer um, because this is people's you know real assets. And if they turn them into cash now, what happens when if gold hits twenty five hundred? What happens if you know? I just read a report saying gold would hit seven thousand dollars an ounce um, by twenty thirty. You know what? What happens if that happens? Do I do I not get invited to Christmas anymore? It's um, it's a it's a really tough tough thing to answer. Did you um, get invited anyway, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> I did last year. Yeah. I mean, I actually know somebody just told me they sold sold a load of their gold, and why did you do that? Because you know the the, the backdrop suggests to me that you know there's. The gold price is going to be supportive for some time. We are facing very straightened economic times. There are going to be a lot of people who, you know, whilst they've had their salaries paid by furlough schemes for a while, may not have it paid for that much longer. So, you know, maybe sometimes selling your gold is an economic necessity. So maybe if you need the cash, you need the cash. Absolutely. Well, there you go. Well, Alex, thank you very much for organising this podcast. I think you need extra credit this week for not only doing a great interview with Dave and James Steele, but also planning the whole thing so thanks very much good to speak to you oh, it's been fun thanks Alex thanks Alex that is all we've got time for on this week's podcast I'm afraid but before we go let me talk you through what else we've got in this week's issue we've already mentioned uh, the uh, big gold piece from Dave and Alex how to get exposure to gold if indeed you should um, we have lots and lots of results back in this week's issue results season is starting to kick in and uh, some of the biggest are reporting Unilever Howden Joinery Pearson Centrica and some miners for Znillo and Rio Tinto and some house builders lots and lots going on there uh, which is really giving us a view of how COVID uh, is starting to hit the numbers of the big companies in the UK. Um, in the comment section, we have the usual stuff from Mr. Bearball, Simon Thompson, Chris Dillo, Michael Taylor, and no free lunches in this week, looking at Boohoo and its ethical missteps. Mary McDougall has looked at uh, how you protect yourselves from a possible CGT raid, very popular article uh, on the website. And in the news section, lots and lots going on. We have uh, an up update from GSK. We've got some interesting news in the retail sector, uh, some numbers which suggest recovery is on the way. But as we say in the piece, I think you need to look a little bit beneath the surface to really see what's going on there. And James Norrington has looked at what uh, we can expect uh, as the Democratic nomination uh, gets closer in the US presidential race. And of course, we have the cover feature, which we've already talked about on this podcast, uh, which Megan has written, Borrowed Growth, uh, which looks at the world's technology companies uh, and whether the COVID lockdown has merely brought forward uh, a lot of the uh, digital innovation that perhaps would have happened over the next few years and whether the earnings outlook is perhaps not as rosy as many have suggested. Thank you to all of our guests, uh, Dave Baxter, Alex Hamer, James Steele of HSBC, uh, and uh, thanks also, of course, to my co-host, Megan. Um, and uh, we'll be back again next week. Pick up the magazine in all good news agents or get online and subscribe. Take care. See you later.